Welcome to the Reliance Community Podcast. Worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock or 10.45 a.m. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. How many of you guys love you some Jesus today? We want to uh, let you know if you're a visitor with us today, welcome to Reliance. We're uh, a big family just in pursuit of the presence of Jesus together. So it's good to have you. If you're regular, it's always good to have you. I want to share real quickly before we start, as the kids are leaving, um, we first and foremost, before all things, we want to be a house of prayer. We want to be a place where just prayer just permeates this, this place. And so I want to tell you about some opportunities coming up um, in the new year and also tonight uh, where we can be involved in prayer. First of all, um, starting January the 5th, January the 5th, we are going to start a 21-day uh, fasting and praying. And so um, we're joining some other churches kind of across the city, and it's just 21 days of just praying and fasting, and we're going to send some information out to you. Um, in a couple of weeks, you're going to get a commitment card if you want to join us with this praying and fasting. Super excited about it. Some of you guys, that may make you nervous, like, you mean, I can't eat for 21 days? Yes, you can't. No, that's not true. You're going to... You're going to pick something, uh, you might give up TV or one meal a day or whatever, and in that time, you're just going to press into the presence of Jesus, amen? And so I want to encourage you with that. Um, The second thing is happening tonight. Um, You know, there's a group of amazing men and women who just have this desire to see um, God change the atmosphere in our city, and so they go down to Broadway. And Broadway just has some darkness down there, and especially kind of South Broadway area. And so they get a group together, and it's happening quite often now. And uh, they're going to meet at 5 o'clock tonight at the quick trip off of Broadway, that quick trip just south of Kellogg right there, 5 o'clock. They've rented a room at the Countryside Motel there, um, where just a lot of things happen at. And uh, they rent a room, and out of that room, they just worship and pray. Amen? And I'm telling you right now, like first service, I just, I caught this picture as we were worshiping, even this service. Um, man, we just sang about how um, Jesus is the light of life and darkness cannot hide from it. And so I just have this picture that like from this group of believers sitting in this motel room where prostitution happens, drug deals happen, um, there's been homicides down in that area where these things are happening that God is going to change things. And it's, just, and it's just one area of town, but it's a representation of every area of town. And so I just want you to press, even if you can't go down, five o'clock, be in prayer for what's happening on Broadway. Um, but, but if you can join and you want to come down and just press into that, it's an awesome, awesome experience. So um, do that. And then lastly, if you need prayer out there on the Welcome Center, we've got connection cards. You can fill one out, uh, fill out the prayer, drop it in the bucket right outside the doors there, and we'll make sure that we pray for you guys every Monday. So just excited what God is doing in prayer. Amen, church? Amen. So we are in a series over the last couple of weeks um, that we started called It Was For, everybody say freedom. Freedom. And so really kind of our springboard in this Christmas season has been Galatians 5.1. And Galatians 5.1 says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And then he goes on, he says, so stand firm. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again. Don't let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. And so we've talked a little bit about this, but this is like to me what Christmas time is all about. That God steps down into our darkness, he steps down into our mess, and he came, yes, to give us salvation, yes, for eternal life, but he came here and now to set us free here and now, amen? 
And so we've been kind of working through what's the implications of Jesus coming to set us free. And so we we looked through some Old Testament prophecy in Isaiah, and then Jesus reiterated it in Luke chapter four, where Jesus is reading the scroll. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to set the captives free, release the prisoners, bring comfort to the broken, good news to the poor, and on and on and on. And so he's talking about this freedom in our life. And so hopefully you guys have resonated with that and and it's been good, but we see it really from Isaiah chapter nine. Isaiah chapter nine, thousands of years before Jesus came and and we see where Isaiah prophesies kind of a prophetic word of what Jesus would come to do. It says, for you, he's talking about Jesus, for you will break the yoke of their slavery. You will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. For a child is born to us. Somebody say, to us. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. So Jesus comes to set us free. It's just kind of a really cool picture of what Christmas is all about. And so um, there's this theme then, because we're set free, we've been working through this in our life. So because we're set free, the theme that you'll see over and over, Old Testament, New Testament, you'll see this theme over and over and over, and the theme is worship. Somebody say worship. Okay, so because we've been set free, we are free to worship. That's what I wanna talk about all day. And I, we're, we're gonna have to speed through. We've got a ton of stuff. But because we've been set free, our response, our only response is worship. And so I don't know if you uh, grew up in church. Most of you guys any, grew up like your whole life, like you were born in a pew, anybody? Yeah? Like you grew up your whole life in, in church. And so one of the things that we've done, and it's kind of been, uh, it's not been good, but somehow we've, I've grew up in church my whole life, daddy pastor, all those things, right? And, and I grew up, and I've made worship equal singing, right? I made worship synonymous with singing. So the way in which we worship is that we have to sing a song. And so because I made this identity of worship equal singing, my mentality of worship is that we just worship on Sunday. We just worship on Wednesday. We just worship on life group night, whatever that is. And so one of the things that we've got to, to do is we've got to break this cycle of believing that worship is singing songs, amen? Singing songs is great. Singing songs is great. It's a way to get us into worship. It's one avenue, but there are many avenues in which we set our heart to worship the Lord, amen? And so if you grew up in, in church in the 80s and 90s, all right, like I did, we, we, we took worship songs and we made them super weird, all right? Like, did you grow up with the song, Spring Up, Oh Well? Spring Up, Oh Well, you guys sing that? I feel like an idiot, not one hand is up in this room. All right, good. Like we put actions to them or, or my dad used to have his favorite song was King Jesus is All. You guys remember that song? And we had this drummer, he'd say, hit it, Chris. And he'd just, boo, 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 boo. And he would, you'd say, King Jesus is all. And then you'd repeat. My all in all. And I know he'll answer. And this is getting awkward. Okay, so, so we would repeat, right? And then if you were really a strong Christian, you knew the one, the one. I am a C. I'm a C-H, I'm a C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N, and I have C-H-R-I-S-T in my H-E-R-T, and then I lost the rest of it, okay? But the point is you knew these songs, and then you wondered why people looked at the church and was like, y'all are just weird. (laughs) 
Like the Jesus movement blew through in the 70s and like ended in the 80s. Like it was, anyways. So all of this stuff we've made synonymous with worship, like you gotta sing songs and you gotta have songs, you gotta, but I want you to know today that worship has nothing to do with just singing, amen? It has nothing to do with just singing. In fact, um, and we've talked about this a lot in here, just this idea of if you're a sports person, I'm telling you, you go to a sporting event, you will see worship there. You go to a sporting event and you will see worship there. This is our second year being in wrestling. I told you last year with my son Trace getting into kids wrestling that it was just a whole different atmosphere. It has not changed, all right? You go there, you see grown men and women on the floor crying because their kid lost a match. It's crazy, all right? But you go to these sporting events and what you see is you see grown men and women going crazy over a sport. They are worshiping. It's a form of worship. I shared this in first service. This is like, you can see a, a, a guy, maybe, maybe just like an introvert guy, Monday morning, he's working, he's like the most straight-laced, tie-wearing, doesn't talk, introvert, statistician, whatever. And then all of a sudden, something happens on Saturday and Sunday, bellies out, painted up, and he's just, right? <laughs> like, what happened to the guy on Monday to the guy on Saturday and Sunday, something in his heart switches and there's a form of worship that comes out for his team. And he'll do anything he can do to make sure that everybody knows how awesome they are, right? <laughs> I want you to know I had Mike Wohler written, right? Is that Mike Wohler that said that? All right, I thought so. Just wanna make sure. I was actually, when I was, when I was even researching like just different things on, on worship, like I, there's this guy, a big Vikings fan, and he gets, a, he gets a tattoo of Randy Moss from back in the day with making like this miraculous catch, and then Randy Moss got traded to the Patriots. I'm like, well, there's that, right? But here's a guy who is like, I will ink my body up for something that I think to be something that, that has my affection, Randy Moss making this catch. It's crazy when you think about it. Worship then is something more than just singing songs. For us as believers, worship is a desire in any way, any place, any time that we can be with Jesus. It doesn't just happen on a Sunday morning. is isn't just a church experience. It's a place where we seek and we find the Lord. Listen to the definition of what worship is. Worship means ascribing worth, ascribing worth to a person or an object. Ascribing worth to a person or an object. So when we worship God, we are saying, God is worthy of my love. Like I'm ascribing worth to God and I'm saying, God is worthy of my love. God is worthy of my attention. God is worthy of my devotion. He is worthy to receive all that I can give him. He's worthy. He's worthy. And so for us as believers then, worship and adoration is always our starting point. When we come into Jesus, our very first starting point then has to be worship and it has to be adoration. It's always our starting point. When life got you down, worship. When life is good, worship. Our response is worship. When life is brutal, our response is worship. You want freedom? Listen, listen to me. You want true freedom in your life? Learn to worship. You want true freedom? Learn to worship. Not in the ups and downs. Just learn to worship, which we're going to talk about. It's been said, and I believe this, it's been said that the true battle that we face in our life is the war for our worship. The true battle that we face is the war for our worship. 
And, and, and I believe this. I believe that the true battle that we face isn't, hey, stop cussing more. Amen? Some of you guys better say amen to that, right? Like, stop cussing more. Like, that's, that's a bad, sure, that can be a bad, like, the true battle we face isn't, hey, stop this, stop this, stop this, stop this. The true battle is a battle for our worship, because if the enemy can get, he can get our ascribing worth of what we see Jesus in, if he can just pull us away from that, then he can get us into any other thing. So this battle for worship is a big deal. Worship is and always will be. Worship is and always will be the starting point of freedom. It's the starting point of freedom. Here's the thing. Satan knows this too. Satan's fall was because he wanted to be worshiped more than God. So Satan knows how big worship is. He knows the strategies of it. And so you can believe, church, that Satan's not going to change his choice. He's still going to try to steal your affections away through what it is that we worship. And there's, I want to just throw this disclaimer out here. When we talk about freedom to worship, we're not talking about obligation to worship, Okay. Oh, I feel obligated. I got to get in the presence of God today. Oh, I got to open my Bible, right? Got to pray, whatever. I want to throw out obligation. I want to talk about true freedom in, in worship. So let me show you why this is our starting point. Because from the beginning of time, every single person that was created was creating with a, uh, created with a longing in their heart to worship something, okay? You can go to any other country. You can go to the most remote rainforests that have never seen a white man, that have never heard the gospel message, that have never seen any of those things. All they know is this little tiny area, and I'm telling you, walk into their village, and in the middle of their village, you will find some type of a shrine or an idol they bow down to. You'll find it. Whether it be an idol for harvest, whether it be an idol for rain, whether it be an idol for fertility, whatever the idol is, wherever you go all across the world in the most remote places, there is something that's been birthed inside of all of us that we will worship something. We will. It's ingrained in us. And so we see this really, um, and Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 1. When he talks about the fact that all of us are going to be worshiping something, we're going to ascribe worth to something. I want you to hear me say that. All of us are going to ascribe worth to something. And so Paul addresses this. He says, look, we'll all do this. The problem is, is that we're worshiping the wrong things. Paul spoke to this to show us where this battle rages. Romans is such a pivotal book. We know that. And in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, Paul talks about where our affections, what is it we're ascribing worth to? He says, yes, they, he's talking about they, the people, the people of old, people of now, they. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people, birds, animals, reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever their shameful things in their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things to each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and they served the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. So the longing in their heart is that we're going to worship something. We just don't want to worship God. They ascribed worth to something. And look, we all do it. We all ascribe worth. If we're not going to worship God, we ascribe worth to sports. We ascribe worth to success. We ascribe worth to money. We ascribe worth to achievements. We ascribe worth to whatever it is that we're saying, this has worth, this has value, this is where I spend most of my time. 
We all do it. And so you can see this is really truly in the depths of it. It's, it's a heart battle for our worship. And so like last Sunday where we, we broke down how the Exodus story of freedom resembles kind of the New Testament Christmas story, gospel story of freedom. We talked about how they just kind of mirrored one another. And in the Exodus story of freedom where God, you know, leads Moses and, and Moses leads the Israelites out of G Egypt and bondage and captivity, we kind of talked about how that, that was a physical freedom that they experienced. They got out of captivity, bondage physically, and they experienced freedom physically, but they still had a lot of in internal bondage in their life set with rules and laws and all those things. But yet it mirrors much of the gospel message of the Christmas story where then Jesus comes, and there's kind of a mirror there, except that Jesus came, and he gave us freedom for all eternity. Amen? So we talked about the difference in those two stories, but there's something that's the same in both of those two stories. And the same that's in both of those stories is that all of the freedom that we were given was so that we could worship. Let me, let me show you this. In Exodus chapter 7, verse 14, so God it, it tells Moses, he says, go Tell Pharaoh to let the people free. And so each plague, he brings 10 different plagues, if you remember. And so with each plague, listen to what he says. And I'm just going to read a few of these. Exodus chapter 14, God tells Moses to announce this to Pharaoh. The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to tell you, let my people go so they can worship me in the wilderness. I find it interesting that he said in the wilderness. In a harsh, difficult environment, I want them to worship me. Exodus 8.1, so, so, so Pharaoh says, no, I'm not going to let him go, right? So another plague comes. Moses comes back, Exodus 8.1, the Lord said to Moses, go back to Pharaoh, announce to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so they can, what? Worship. worship me. So again, he's like, I want them to be released so they can worship me. Pharaoh's like, not going to do it, not, not going to happen. So, so we, we, we go on, another plague comes, Exodus chapter 9, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go so they may. Man, do you see a theme here? There's something big about God wanting worship. There's something big about God saying, set them free from captivity. Let them go so that they may worship me. So God is about to do incredible things with the Israelite people. There's going to be a Red Sea moment that's epic. We talk about it all the time. There's going to be a moment where bread falls from heaven that we call manna, right? There's going to be these moments that we sit there and we're like, wow, I can't believe this is incredible. There's going to be a moment where there's this pillar of fire that lights their way at night and this cloud that blocks the sun at the day so that they don't have to sweat to death, right? There's going to be these incredible moments in these people. And yet out of all of those moments, God says, I want them free from bondage so that they may worship me first. The first order when we get set free is worship. Not so that we can see miracles, although miracles are cool, amen? Not so that we can say that we have everything, although having everything would be pretty cool, amen? The first order when we come into freedom is always worship. Always worship. And yet, here's what you see. The Israelites come out of their bondage, and they're wandering in the wilderness, and God's doing all these miracles, church, and something happens in the heart of the people. Moses goes up to the mountain where he's getting the Ten Commandments. And all of a sudden, they're looking around. They're going, ah, oh, this is lame. Ah, oh, this stinks. Yeah, we're free, right? We're free. But what are we going to do now? 
And there was something that happened in the hearts of the people. They said, well, where's Moses at? I don't know if he's coming back. So what they do is they, they built a golden calf to worship. You guys remember that? Why? Because they're going to worship something. And there's times, I believe, in our life where we're like, God, what are you doing? God, what are you up to? I don't see you, even when I can't see you, even when I feel you. I don't know what you're doing, God. And so instead of worshiping God, we just simply put our affections and ascribe worth to something else. We just worship something else. Well, this is giving me pleasure. I'll worship that. Well, this gives me some fulfillment. I'll worship that. And so we're no different in, in, in many ways how the Israelites were when they came out of the wilderness and God's revealing himself and their initial response to freedom, their initial response was, yay, God, until things got tough and then it became, well, God's gone, let's build something else. And so God's speaking to Moses up on Mount Sinai, giving him 10 commandments. Moses comes down with the 10 commandments. And you know what? God's smart. How many of you guys know God's smart? He knows what these, these people are doing down here. He knew, he knew this. So the first two commandments, let me read these to you in Exodus chapter 20. The first two commandments, and God spoke to these words. God spoke these words. He says in verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So number, number one commandment, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. Oops. So the very first thing that, that Moses is sharing with the people is, why are we having other gods before him? The second commandment that he gives, you shall not make for yourself any image, oops, in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. So not only is God saying when you get set free that you're to worship me, he's saying don't set up anything else that steals my affections. Don't set up anything else that you're going to ascribe worth to that's more than me. So God, God gives Moses these Ten Commandments, and so here's what you see, church. You have God liberating his people, setting them free, and all through the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, you see you've been set free worship. You've been set free worship. You've been set free worship. When Jesus is doing miracles in the New Testament, and he's healing people, and they're running off, he's saying, make sure you give glory to God. <laughs> worship. It's crazy. It's crazy. Now, let me tie this into the Christmas story then. So in 400 years, Old Testament, New Testament, we've talked 400 years of silence, God really not moving. In 400 years, all of a sudden we see Jesus burst onto the scene and we have the birth narrative in Matthew chapter two, verse 10 through 11. And here's where freedom in the Old Testament that was, that was for worship and freedom in the New Testament that was for us to worship kind of come together. Matthew chapter two, verse 10, when they, and he's talking about the, the uh, wise men, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed on coming to the house. They saw the child with his mother Mary, <coughs> and they bowed down and then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Look, look, this is how important worship is. It's our first response. Before all things, it's our first, before I ask. Before I, before I say, God, I need you to bless me. Before God, I need a miracle. Before whatever, 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 whatever. God, this is what I want to do. I just want to worship you. Angels responded when they were in the presence of Jesus. The angels responded with worship. Mary's response, you can read it in her song. She was overjoyed when she heard that Jesus, she was going to give birth to Jesus. She worshiped. The shepherd's response, worship. The wise men's response, worship. My question today is, what's your response? What's your response? 
Every single one who came to the foot of Jesus worshiped. What's your response? John 4, 23, Jesus meets a Samaritan woman at the well. And they're talking and he's giving her living water himself. And he says this, a time is coming. A time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. The, 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 the Father is looking for worshipers who will worship him not on Sunday mornings alone. The Father's looking for worshipers who will worship him and not in just songs. The Father's looking for the person who goes in their quiet place when there's no worship music playing and they're just worshiping the Lord with everything that they have. God is looking for worshipers. His desire, this is God's desire, his desire is, is to see people who take their encounters with him. Man, I had an encounter with Jesus. There was a time that I didn't know the Lord. I came to the Lord. I had an encounter with the Lord. He changed my life. I'm no longer the same. And I'm going to take that encounter that I've had with him, and I'm going to turn it into a lifestyle now. I'm not going to turn it into a moment. I'm not going to leave it as an encounter. Long time ago, 20 years ago, gave my life to Jesus. I'm 40. 20 years ago, gave my life to Jesus. I had an encounter with the Lord, and then from there, I just, I just, I just became who I am, and I just stopped worshiping him. That's not what he's looking for. He's like, I want to know that 20 years ago, when you gave your life to Jesus, Aaron, and you had that encounter, that you took it and you turned it into a lifestyle. That every day of your life is that encounter. Every day of your life. Think about this. I heard this quote. God created us to be worshipers forever. Somebody say forever. forever. If, if, if you struggle with worship, you're going to struggle in heaven, all right? God created us to be worshipers forever. Think about this. He says this. In heaven, we won't need teachers. We won't need preachers. We won't need prophets. But there is no end to our identity as worshipers. So on earth right now, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus tells us in the New Testament, we've, we've got these pre preachers and evangelists and prophets and teachers and apostles, and, and they're building up the church and they're doing these things. Well, in heaven, Jesus fulfills all those things, amen? But there's one thing that all of us will do for the rest of eternity. What is that? We will be worshipers for eternity. So let's be worshipers here. Let's be worshipers now. Not in song, in our hearts. This is big. You got this Jeremiah prophet in the Old Testament. Jeremiah saw this. He saw this picture of that quote right there. He saw this. I believe it. He's, he's like, man, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, God wants us to be worshipers. So Jeremiah is giving a word of promise in a time where restoration was needing to happen. So this restoration wouldn't come for a long time. They were still going to be in exile. The, the, Israel was going to be in turmoil for a long, long time, even when Jeremiah came. But God gives this promise of restoration in Jeremiah 32.9. This was transforming for me about three weeks ago. We were in a prayer meeting here on Thursday morning, our normal prayer meeting. I opened my Bible up. We were praying together as a group, and I just, I captured Jeremiah 32, 39 in my heart. I was like, holy smokes, this is for us. Jeremiah 32, 39, and I will give them one heart and one purpose to me forever. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to build them together. I'm going to get them together. I'm going to get the body of Christ together. Not individual churches that are bent on growing their church and branding themselves as the best thing that ever happened. Amen? I don't want that. He says, I'm going to get my, my church together, all of these bodies of Christ together. And I'm going to put them together. I'm going to give them one heart. 
one purpose, and that's to worship me forever. For their own good and for the good of their descendants, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good for them. How many of you guys could use that in your life? I will put a desire in their hearts to worship me, and they will never leave me. I will find joy doing good for them and will faithfully and wholeheartedly replant them in this land. Can I tell you right there that, that, that part that says, I will put a desire in their hearts to worship me? Oh, that takes so much stress off of me, amen? I don't have to sit there and go, I gotta be a worshiper. I gotta be a worshiper. Somebody help me, right? He puts the desire in me. He puts the desire in me. Come on, amen? He puts it in me. I encountered the Lord. Something happened in my life. I felt a freedom in my life. I've got a desire then to reciprocate in my response to him of going, you are worthy. I ascribe all worth to you. I worship you. I worship you. So we sang it, Waymaker. I worship you. I worship you. Oh. Woo. So since our present and our future are directly affected by this issue of worshiping God, we need to learn how to worship. Amen, church? So the first thing I want to say is just a couple of truths about worship. First thing is this. Worship frees us from the lies of Satan. Anybody in this place ever bought into the lies of Satan? Every hand? Yeah, every hand? We've all bought into the lies of Satan. Not good enough, not whatever, not whatever, don't need God, whatever. We've all bought in at some point in time into the lies of Satan. This is what Jesus battled. When Jesus goes to the wilderness before he starts his ministry, Jesus goes up into the wilderness and he fasts for 40 days. He's in his most vulnerable place. He's 100% God, 100% man. And in this moment, he's feeling the weight of fasting, hungry, vulnerability, and he's pressing into his father's heart. He's saying, God, I ascribe all worth to you. You're it. You're my father in heaven. I ascribe all worth for you. Satan comes in on the scene. And Satan sees Jesus in this moment where he's hungry. He's been fasting for 40 days. He's vulnerable. And do you know what Satan tries to trick him with? Simply stealing the affections of Jesus' worship to the Father and so that Jesus will put his worship into Satan. Satan comes on the scene and says, look, 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 Jesus. If you just bow down and worship me, I'll turn these stones into bread and I'll give them to you. You guys remember that? What did he want? His worship. He comes, Jesus you know, gives him the word, and, and, and Satan goes. Then he comes back, and Satan says, look, look, here, here's the deal. Shows him all the kingdoms of the world. If you just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all these kingdoms that you see out there. Jesus gives him the word, Satan goes. And you see this battle. He does it a third time. You see this battle, and the battle is simply that Satan's coming to try to take the affections of Jesus away from the Father. Church, his strategy is still the same. He's not trying to get you to cuss less. He's not just trying to work on your moral behavior, although we should have good moral behavior. But that's not what he's trying to do because he knows this. If your affections that you affirm, that you ascribe to, that Jesus is worthy of all, if he can take that away from you and you can point them towards something else, then everything else in the world is just going to come on you anyways. He wants your worship. He wants your worship. So Satan uses these schemes against us today when we're at our most vulnerable and our weakest in the same way that he did it to Jesus. And so we, I, I've done this many times. I say, Jesus, I can't, I can't worship you today because life is just too tough. Jesus, I can't worship you today because my marriage 
my marriage is in turmoil. Jesus, I can't worship you today because I'm just ticked off. I can't worship. I can't get in my Bible. I can't, can't sing songs. I can't, I can't pray. I can't worship you today because life is tough. Can I just say when life is tough, that's when we worship the hardest? You know how I know this? <laughs> because Job. We all love Job. We all love to talk about Job. We all love to talk about, I'm having a Job day, and we say this all the time, no, you're not, right? Job, go read Job, and then say, I'm having a Job day, right? <laughs> Everything that you can imagine in a season of his life happened to him. Lost every loved one that he ever knew. Got every kind of disease essentially imaginable at that time. I mean, it wasn't just rain, it poured on him. His friends were like, God does not like you. Do you not see this man? Job's like, look, I'm pressing in. Like, I, I'm, I don't know what's going on, but I'm pressing in. Look, look, look what we see. Job, when, when, when things did not end up going his way and his emotions would not have lined up with worship, when his emotions would not have lined up with worship, Job pressed in even deeper and said, I'm still going to worship. Look at Job 1, 120. Ah. Oh. Job stood up. He just lost his family. It said a wind came in. He got a report. A wind came in, blew down his house. Apparently it was Kansas. He came in, blew down his house. His whole family was killed. Everybody was killed. Job stood up and he tore his robe in grief. Like this was deep. Job wasn't like, eh, you know, I trust you, God. Things happen. It's what it is, right? He, he wasn't a masochist. He wasn't sitting there going, oh, God, thank you that that happened. He was grieving church. He shaved his head. He fell to the ground, and he worshiped. He's grieving. He just lost everything that he loved. And in verse 21, he said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken away. Praise the name of the Lord. When my emotions don't line up with worship, I can still worship. When I'm in my deepest grief of my life, yes, it's grief, yes, grieve, but I can worship in my grief. Look what Job says now in, in, in Job 19. We just get this beautiful picture. Everything has just happened. I mean, this guy, he's like, ugh. God, all of this stuff. And there's moments where he's cried out to God. Again, his friends are going, Job, you've messed up. Figure it out. He's like, oh, but, 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 but I've been faithful. I don't know what he, I don't know what's, it's like, God, what are you doing? And this is his response, Job's response in 1925 when all this has happened. But as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. And he will stand upon the earth at last. He's given a prophetic word of Jesus, and he ain't ever seen Jesus. Listen to this. I know that my Redeemer lives, and I will stand, and he will stand upon the earth at last. And after my body has decayed, yet in my body I will see God. When I'm long and gone, and this bone and flesh is in the grave, still I will see God. Listen to this. Ah, it's good. Hang on. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. I am overwhelmed at that thought. You imagine the grief that you can feel in your life 
And what rises up is in you is, yes, grief and, and hurt and wounds and, oh, God, why? But what resonates with you in this is, but one day when this is all gone, I will stand before my Redeemer because I know he lives. I will stand before him because I know he lives. I will see him with my own eyes. And at that thought, I am overwhelmed. Ah, didn't that just, uh, like, I feel like we should burst the doors down right now. Okay. So, so worship frees us from Satan's lies. Real quickly, worship frees us to lay down our life. This is big. Worship frees us to lay down our life. If you have your Bibles, Genesis 22, just real quick, I'm going to run through this. Most of you guys are familiar with the story of Abraham and Isaac. You know, Abraham was old. His wife, Sarah, was old. God, they were barren in their 90s. God's like, I'm going to give you a son. They're like, okay, you're going to give us a son. The promise didn't come for a long time. They started to go, God, I don't think you're going to do it. I don't think you're going to do it. Long story short, Isaac comes, and, and, and Abraham is going to be the father of many nations. If, if you don't know the Old Testament, read that. But beautiful picture, and like, there's just this time where all of this promise of God has come to Abraham in this form of Isaac. So Abraham is stoked to be a dad. He's like, oh, this is so good. And then God says, I need you to take that promise. I need you to take him up a hill. I'm going to need you to sacrifice him. And some of us are like, what? That's just jacked up. Why would God say that? We're going to see why here in just a minute. He says, I want you to take this promise up. I want you to take this son that you love, and I want you to go and sacrifice him. We pick up here in one, and he says, God tested Abraham's faith. He said, Abraham, yes, you reply, here I am. Take your son, your only son. Yes, Isaac, whom you love so much. Like, I, I think this is important. Your son, yes, your only son. You know, he might be going, do I have another son somewhere, right? Um, yes, Isaac. Yes, Isaac, the son whom you love. Do you remember what God said about Jesus when he sent him? This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. This is the son I love. Listen, listen. He says, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, go to the land of Moriah, go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey. He took two of his servants with him along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire. I, I was telling first service, to me, that's one of the most jacked up parts right there. He's chopping wood, knowing that this is going to be an altar that he's going to sacrifice his son on. <sighs> Imagine with every cut, of that wood, the Father's heart right there. Oh, what a picture of God and Jesus for a minute. That Jesus would be our ultimate sacrifice. Then he chopped wood for a fire and the burnt offering, set it out, out for the place that God had told him. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told his servants. The boy and I will travel a little further, and this is it. We will what? We will what? We will worship there, and then I will come back. We will come right back. Two important things I just want to go over real quickly. The rest of the story, we know Abraham, he's right there. He's got, he's got Isaac up on the altar. He's getting ready to bring the knife down. He's like, God, if this is what you want me to do. And God says, stop. And then the thicket right in front of him is a ram. And God says, this is what your sacrifice is going to be, not your son. I wanted to test your faith. And it's this picture in the Old Testament of Jesus being the perfect sacrifice for us. But in this moment, I'm just picturing this moment right here in verse 5, we will worship there. How is it that you're going to worship up there? You don't have like harps and things around you, waymaker, miracle work, right? You don't have that because that's not how he saw worship. 
Abraham saw worship as saying, if you want me to lay my life down or my son's life down, I'll do it because that's how I'm going to worship you. It wasn't about his life. It wasn't about his desires. It wasn't about his wants. He was willing to worship God in whatever he asked him to do. Abraham's life was about worship to the Lord. It was his design. You want me to sacrifice my son? All right. There's a quote that I read that says, worship is a way of seeing the world in the light of God. Abraham saw through the light of God and he saw worship as something differently than the rest of the world saw. For Abraham, his desire was to please God. Abraham loved his son. He loved his son. Listen, it wasn't that he didn't love his son because in verse five, there's a second part that says, we will worship there, then we will come right back. But that's not what he told you, Abraham. He didn't tell you you would come right back. Didn't tell you both of you would come. He told you to go sacrifice your son. So why did you say we will come right back? Because there was something about Abraham's worship to God that knew that he was the promise keeper, that knew that he was the way maker, that he knew that he was the miracle worker. Amen? There was something about Abraham and his worship to God that he said, I know that you are a God who will never fail on your promise, and you promised me, my son, so if you want me to go up there, I'll go up there. And the knife comes down, then the knife comes down, you'll just simply raise him from the dead, or you're going to provide another way. And so he was firm and confident that when he worshiped God, that they would both be right back. The more that we come into the presence of our creator in worship, the more we learn to trust God in all circumstances, that he is the promise keeper. So I just, I'll close out with a lot, but I'll close out with this. Worship comes from a place of desperation in our hearts. Desperation of having to be with God, have to be with God, have to. I have to be in his presence. But let me say this, church, but desperation is not despair. Worship is birthed out of desperation, but desperation is not despair. Many times we, we make a mistake that our worship is, I'm going to run to God and worship when I'm in despair. You can do that. But desperation isn't birthed out of despair. It's birthed out of desire. Desperation is birthed out of desire. Desire, not despair. True worship looks beyond the despair of our lives and sees a God who's worthy of worship regardless of how life is going. So worship becomes who we are, not something we do, not something that we sing. Worship becomes who we are. This is why we're free to worship in the midst of tragedy. We're free to worship in the midst of tragedy. I told you last week, Paul and Silas in Acts 17 were in jail. They were beaten, almost, it said severely. Beating severely today is different than beating. Beating severely then was like you were almost dead. They were put in shackles in an inner, inner place in the inner dungeons. Do you know what their response was? Worship and singing. Do you know what happened when they worship and sang? An earthquake came and the shackles fell off. In the midst of tragedy, we can still worship. Because worship fuels us 
in our hearts to rise above our situations and see that God is for us and loves us. Lastly, I just read this. There's a quote that says, it's interesting that whatever God wants from us, he always tends to initiate in us first. He gives it to us first. If he wants love from us, he gives love to us first. If he wants, to rejoi- if he wants us to rejoice, he lets us taste his joy. If he wants us to be free from anxiety, he lavishes his peace. The place of affection that I have for God in my heart is what empowers me to worship. It means worship is not something we do for God, rather what he initiates in us. He gives us a desire to worship him. So here, here's what I want to do. band's going to play a song. I want to I I clarify that again. The band's going to play a song, and we're going to worship. They're going to sing. We're going to worship, and they may worship too. I mean both, right? If you need to spread out in here, if you need to get on your face before the Lord, if, look, nothing is weirder than I am a C, I am a C-H, I am a C-H-R-S-T, okay? Get on your face before the Lord. If you want to stand, stand. If you want to kneel, kneel. I want to just take the next two minutes, three minutes, whatever. We're not timelining God. I just want to just press in and just worship. Tell him. Tell him who he is. God, you're worthy. You're the promise keeper. Look, if the manger was here, right here, if the manger was here, what would you do? You twit. Oh, it's cool. Savior of the world. Awesome. What would you do? What would you do if the manger was right here and the Savior of the world? What would you do if an angel appeared to you and said, go and worship? What would you do? You would worship. Thanks for listening today. If you want to find out how to get involved, go to reliancecommunity.org.